you, thank you, thank you for uh, making time. You know, we, we have to be aware that time will get away from us if we let it just get filled with whatever, whatever is there. But if we don't intentionally put the most important things first, then sometimes the most important things get pushed to the side. So I commend you for making time to uh, connect with God, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of you that are online, thank you for connecting today. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been, I guess the best way to put it is I've been wrestling, and I'm not a wrestler, but I've been wrestling with things. Uh, you know, we've, we've been, we went through the 21 days of prayer, and that was awesome, and I'm continuing to do that, and, and I'm continuing to be blessed by that. We, we heard from Pastor Jeremy talking about the scripture that says, search me, O God, and show me if there's any way in me that's hindering you. And uh, that seems to be something that I'm continuing to wrestle with. And I think the body of Christ is, is in that place of really wanting God to have his way, but recognizing that there are th some things in our life that have to be let go of. The Bible tells us that we're to put on the new man that's renewed in righteousness and true holiness and uh, put off the old man. And sometimes we're not so aware of what old things need to go and what new things need to come. And some of us aren't real thrilled about the fact that just change has to happen. But when, when God has his way and change occurs, it brings us to that next level that God has for us. And, and I, have, I have been crying out to God and just been, there's been a, a, a breaking that's been going on in me. And, and the Bible says that, that in a place where if we would fall on the rock, we would be broken, not in a destructive way, but in a useful way. You know, when, when a horse is broken, he moves from being wild and dangerous to himself and others to being helpful and beneficial to others. I, I want, it's all I've ever wanted in my life, to be, be beneficial. I've wanted to be helpful to people. And I know apart from God, that's not possible. And so I've been just saying, God, please, whatever has to go, show me and give me the courage and the grace and the strength to let it go. And whatever needs to come, give me the grace and the courage and the strength to, to make that adjustment. And, uh, you know, we're in amazing times. Um, we're seeing all sorts of things go on in our country. And maybe you're not aware of it because you're not taking the time to, to seek out information about the revival. But And I have... I did not, I don't, it is not my intention, please forgive me, I'm not trying to be dramatic or emotional, but there is something that's going on in my life, and it's been going on for a while, and I, I want to just share a couple of things before we go to the Word, and my wife and I, Debbie, had a date night and went, <laughs> went to the movies, and that's a rare thing for us, because a lot of the movies aren't there, 
aren't worth going to, and I don't want to support a lot of stuff that's out there. But we went to see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, I would really encourage you to see it because it is a it is based on a true story about what happened back in the 60s and early 70s in California. Um, it's, it's about a, a man's life by the name of uh, Greg Laurie, who is now a pastor, and his struggle during that time, about another man who was a pastor who struggled, and, and uh, that is Pastor Chuck Smith, who had a church called Calvary Chapel. And it was about the Jesus movement. And I will tell you as a kid, my family had the opportunity, God had blessed us to be able to take a trip. It was really a trip of a lifetime. Um, and so we, we, my parents planned for us to fly out to California to rent an RV. And back then, RVs weren't like what you see today. They were kind of blown up vans. And so we spent... We spent about three to four weeks, maybe it was two, maybe it seemed like a month, <laughs> in this, this van traveling all over the West. And uh, one of the places we went to was we wanted to see San Francisco, and we got to San Francisco, and my dad's driving this van that we had rented uh, down some of the steepest hills in San Francisco, and all of a sudden, my dad gets this terrified look on his face, and we hear him going... And my dad was always trying to freak us out. So this was like, okay, you don't have to do that. We know you're joking. And he's like, no, the brakes don't work. And we're like, come on, dad, just put the brake on. He says, I'm trying. And, and so, so we're now all starting to panic. And somehow dad got the van stopped, the RV. And we didn't go into the bay. But we knew we had to get it fixed. So... He made some calls and got it towed to a place, but we had time on our hands. So we started to walk around San Francisco, and, and this was right back at that time where the Jesus movement was happening. And we were in, in a place where uh, all the hippies were. And we're walking around, and we're seeing people that are in varying degrees of, of stupors because of the drugs. But we saw other people, and I didn't, I didn't realize it back then. But while we were watching this movie, you know, there was this Greg glory who was very lost and trying to find his way and, and looking in places that weren't going to fulfill him. And then there was a pa this pastor that was kind of lost, too. He was, his, his church was headed downhill. He had a declining congregation. And, uh, and he had the opportunity to let some hippies into his church that had gotten saved, that had become passionate about Jesus. And when he opened up his church, there was such a tension between the people that had been there and these new people that didn't look like them, didn't act like them, didn't dress like them, didn't talk like them. Didn't even wear shoes. Now, some of you ladies can relate because I've seen it. You slip your shoes off in here in the winter because the floor is warm. It's the way we made it. But it was, it was this, this joining together of very diverse people. And 
Pastor Chuck had to make a decision whether he was going to go with those that really loved God or those that were kind of embroiled and and entwined and entangled in religion. And as time went on, his church just exploded. More and more people were getting saved. and, and, And it was just contagious and it was a revival. And in this movie... I'm sitting there, there was only two other people in, in the movie theater, and we knew them. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting next to Deb in the dark, and I am weeping. I'm just over a lot of things. I'm weeping because I'm so happy to see what happened. And I'm weeping because I want that to so happen again. And I think we're seeing this happen in our country and, and, and in the world where we're seeing revivals. God, God just showing up because people have determined they want to put everything else aside and, and have God in their lives. Seek the Lord. And, and we're seeing this. We're seeing this on college and university campuses. We're seeing it on the streets of major cities. I, my wife sent me something the other day about what's happening in Chicago and what's happening in LA and what's happening in New York and, and happening all over. And there are people that are just going out and praising God in the streets, worshiping God in the streets, and other believers are just coming and worshiping with them, and other people are coming and repenting of their sins, and people are getting saved. But it's not just here, it's happening in Australia. It's happening in the Philippines. It's happening all over. And and so I'm sitting there and I'm weeping because I'm watching this. I'm thinking about what's going on. I'm saying, God, I want this. This is what I wanted. This is what I've always wanted. And I know, I know it's supposed to happen. I know it's going to happen. And I want to be a part of it. Do I have to go somewhere? And, And as I was struggling with this, I, I, I sensed this question rising up. Well, what, what, what's going on in those places? And again, whenever God asks you a question, realize God's not looking for an answer. He just wants to help you understand something. He's trying to help me understand something. And that was when I started to determine what is it that's going on there? Well, there are people that, that love God and, and are clearing their schedules and putting all sorts of things that have been important on the side to come together, to be in his presence, to worship him, to pray, to praise him, to appreciate him, to love on him. And he shows up because that's what God does. God said, where two more are gathered, I'm there in their midst. I shared with you already, the Bible says God inhabits. He lives in the praises of his people. Now, when, when God shows up, shouldn't things change? Shouldn't they be markedly different? And it is. People, people in those environments are are being set free, 
they're, they're turning away, repenting of their sin and turning back to God and, and, and devoting themselves to God. There's a, a healings that are going on. There's, there's a sense of peace and joy and wholeness. And I know, I know because of what I read in the Bible, what I know of history, that this is, this is God. This is what God wants. And so when God was saying, what, what's happening there? And then, then I was going through this list of this is what's happening. And then another question kind of rolled up in me. Do you have to go there to get it? And I became very aware that the answer was no. No, if, if I would make the same priorities, the same sacrifices, the same adjustments, God's going to meet anyone that's willing to do this. And, and it reminds me of the word that I've shared with you, the scripture that says in 2 Chronicles 16, I believe it's verse 9, the eyes of the Lord are looking across all the earth for someone, anyone, everyone whose heart is fully turned towards him. And in these environments, people's hearts are turning towards him more and more, more fully, more completely. And, and the, the scripture goes on to say, so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. And that's what's happening. God is showing up and showing out. And lives are being changed. And I want... I want to be one of those people. And I have, I have, I have been asking God to show me and to break me, free me from the things that, that I have misaligned in my life. that are hindering him, I am praying and saying, God, I want this. I want this in my life. I want this in my family. I want this in my city. I want this in my state. I want this in my church. I want this wherever I go. And I believe it's possible. I believe that as much as I want it, God wants it even more. And I became, and I'm becoming even more aware of how God is, is orchestrating all this. This isn't, this isn't an accident of what's going on. It's not an accident that this movie came out. It's not an accident that people are, are sensing a need to get together, a desire to get together to worship God and honor God because we live in a world that dishonors God, that disavows God. And God is raising up people that will stand strong and firm, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Daniel, just like people we've read about, and yet God wants to do it here and now in our lives. And the things that we've been reading and understanding is just like what happened with Ezekiel. 
You know, there was this vision that God gave him of what the nation of Israel was like. They were like dry bones scattered across, all across a valley floor, and they were very dry, dead, no life, totally disconnected from each other. And, and God found Ezekiel whose heart wasn't like the rest of Israel. The rest of Israel, the Bible says, tells us in Ezekiel 37, that they had no hope. Ezekiel had hope. Not only did he have hope, he had a desire for God. He had a fear of the Lord. And when the Lord showed up and told him, he was totally trusting, totally dependent on God, and totally obedient to God. And when that happened, God was able to raise and put back together what no one else could put back together. Because when he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can they become living beings again? Ezekiel didn't cry out like we all would, that we all would think, that's ridiculous. There's no way this should happen. He didn't rely on his own understanding. He said, Lord, you know. You're the only one that knows. And then God told him what to speak and how to prophesy, and he did, and things started to happen. You know, when God tells you to speak something, guess what he's doing? He's setting you up to see him work supernaturally because he watches over his word to perform it. And so he spoke, and these bones and, and everything came together to be whole bodies, and yet there was no life. And he said, Ezekiel, speak to the four winds and tell the breath to come, meaning the Spirit of God to come and breathe on these that were slain, that they would come to life again. And he did. And uprose, the Bible says, an exceedingly great army. And this was, this was the nation of Israel. God was showing what he was going to do, but he's also, it is very applicable to us in the church. God's raising up an army in these days. You and I have the privilege and opportunity, but we also have to make some decisions. Whether we're, we're going to allow God to have his way. And then we looked at the fact that, that the Spirit of God and the breath of God that came to them is very much like what it says in Joel chapter 2, where he said, I'm going to pour my spirit up upon all flesh. In a future time, this is going to happen, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see vision, and I will pour out my spirit on my men's servant and my maid's servants. And then we went to see where the fulfillment of that was in Acts chapter 2. And as we began to look at Acts chapter 2, where people were waiting, they were waiting because of the fear of the Lord. They were, Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And then, not before then, but after this occurs, something I'm going to impart to you, I am going to fill you with, it's going to prepare you and provide for you what you need to go out and be witnesses in a hostile world that hated me so much they killed me. And God was setting them up. And they were obedient because they honored, they reverenced. They, they, they obeyed what they were told. And in that moment, the Spirit of God came and filled them, and, and they began to speak with other tongues. And they spilled out into the group of people that were there in Jerusalem to uh, celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And they started to hear these people speak in tongues and glorify God and were wondering what was going on. Peter began to tell them about what had happened and who Jesus was and how they had killed, crucified God's Messiah. 
and Lord. And at that, they were pierced to their heart, and they said, what do we do? And Peter said, you need to repent of your sin and turn to God, be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit. And they did. And, and it says that there was, there was this moment in time where all these people were there longer than they had planned, and yet there was such one accord. Again, one accord. And people were meeting the needs of each other. And again, many people were saved. The first time, 3,000 were saved. Again, they were saved. And we began to look in, in Acts chapter 5 about what was going on. But, but it was because of the, this, this pattern. There was the fear of the Lord. And then there was unity. And then there was revival. And, and I've shared with you what the fear of the Lord means. It's talking about reverence. It's talking about honor and respect. It, it causes us to come to that place where we're obedient and, and because we trust him. But I gave you an, a definition. The fear of the Lord is preeminent adoration and awe. We're going to deal with awe later. But preeminent adoration. And preeminent adoration means this. First in priority. First in value, first in influence. It's, it's really what is the most important, most influential, most valuable thing or person in our life. And then adoration deals with a fervent, devoted love and worship. And, and we saw in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 11, this pattern where the preeminent adoration of God was occurring, but it had happened again. The people were still there in Jerusalem. They had hung on longer past the Feast of Pentecost. They needed supplies, and people were just selling stuff and giving stuff and taking care of all the needs. And one man, Barnabas, gave up a piece of land. He sold a piece of land, brought all the proceeds to the, uh, the apostles, and they distributed as far as the needs were, so the needs were met. And, and that had to be a moment in time. You know, if, if somebody today said, they walked in and said, hey, listen, I've got this, I sold this piece of land, got all this money, find out what the needs are around and, and meet every one of the needs. Don't you know that the word would get out who gave to make sure that need was met? Don't you think? Or are we not thinking this morning? I think it would. I think that kind of stuff gets out because people want to know. And, and so they found out it was Barnabas, and people were, were just so appreciative. And he wasn't after that because he didn't, he didn't give it out. He gave it to the apostles. But then there were some other people that saw the reaction of the people because of what Barnabas had done, and they decided they were going to do the same thing. They were going to sell a piece of land, and they were going to give it to the apostles, but they were going to portray it was just like Barnabas that they gave all the proceeds. And the reason why was they wanted the same reaction that Barnabas had gotten. And they, they wanted the adoration, the acclaim, acclaim of the people, the notoriety. And because of their sin, because they misrepresented, their, they died. And all of a sudden, we pick it up and it says in verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, another translation says a reverential awe of God came on everyone who heard these things. So this is the fear of God. And then it says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord. There's the unity again in Solomon's porch. And, and 
again, in verse 14, it goes on to say this. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. So this pattern is still going on. We're going to see it two more times in the book of Acts this morning. But before we do, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your provision. Father, thank you for, for, for providing the needs of your people because you love them. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your wholeness. Thank you for healing broken hearts and, and wounded lives and making them whole. Father, thank you for health and strength. Thank you for peace and joy. But Father, help us. Help us to let go of all the things that are hindering us from, from letting you have your way in our lives so that we can have you freely flowing and flooding our lives. We thank you for your truth today that helps to make our lives truly free, that we can be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do by your grace and for your glory and in your love. Speak to us. Show us your truth and your way that we can follow and obey. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 19. There's another situation that goes on. And this situation in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul has, has gone to the city of Ephesus that is well known for its wide occult practices. And so they are just very diverse and very uh, committed to uh, practicing occult arts and magic and things like that, divination. And uh, the Apostle Paul shows up, he finds a group of believers in Ephesus, and he meets with them and he talks to them and and says, have you received the Spirit of God? And they say, what's that? And so he, he lays hands on them. They are filled with the Spirit, just like back in Acts chapter 2, where they speak in tongues and prophesy. And then all of a sudden, healing begins to break out. God begins to heal through the Apostle Paul. And, and it says in the Scriptures there in Acts chapter 19, God used the Apostle Paul to do unusual miracles. Now, we're not going to get into all that, but what, what was happening was people were being healed of diseases. They were being freed of demonic oppression and spirits. And there happened to be these Jewish exorcists, okay? And, and these Jewish exorcists were, were watching Paul, seeing what he was doing, how he was doing it. And these seven brothers, the seven sons of Sceva, Sceva was a high priest. They were watching Paul, and they decided they saw the the breakthroughs that Paul was having, they decided to do what Paul was doing. But they didn't know what they were doing. And so they, they went to deliver a person of an evil spirit, and they said, we adjure you, we address you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. Monkey see, monkey do. Listen, as people of faith, everything we have to do, we have to do by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to know. If we were there and we wanted to do what Paul was doing, we'd have to find out how does that work. Well, the name of Jesus is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so they, they took the powerful name of Jesus and they told this evil spirit to leave. And the evil spirit spoke back to him. And you may say, well, I don't believe in evil spirits. Well, you know what? That's part of your deception. Now, you don't ever have to be afraid of them. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
that you can tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, that nothing by any means will harm you. And so you've got to know who you are. You've got to operate in faith. And these guys said, get out in the name of Jesus. And the evil spirit spoke back to him and said this, Paul we know, Jesus we know, who are you? And because they couldn't answer the question, the evil spirit was able to overpower them, strip them, wound them, and send them packing down the road naked. Now, that does never happen to ha have to happen to any of us because we know who we are. We're children of the Most High God. We sang that he's the one that has the victory, that he gives us the victory. And so as long as you know who you are, you can stand up to anything. If somebody comes to your door and says, listen, I got all this sewage I, wanna, I just want to pour in your door, you're going to let them do it? Well, I guess some of you might. Seriously, would you let them do it? Why? Because you don't want it. It's not yours. And you don't have to take it. Just had a flashback of a song. We don't have to take it. <laughs> Sorry. That's a BC thought. But we don't. We don't have to take what the enemy is bringing. And we need to stand up and say, no, no, you're not wanted here. You're not allowed here. Get out. Just like you would if somebody pulled up with a sewage truck. You wouldn't be like, well... You know, I don't know. Did I order it? Is it really mine? No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any hesitation, just like we don't have to have any hesitation with the enemy because we know who we are in Christ. And so this happened, and everybody in the town saw it. And this is where we pick it up. It says, the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. Notice that it wasn't just a homogeneous group. It was a mix of people. There were various people. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. This is the fear of God. All of a sudden, there is an honor coming to the name of Jesus, an honor that our people are giving to God. And it goes on to say, and many who became believers confessed their sins, their sinful practices, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. So there's this unity. There's, there's this moving of God. There's this uniting of people. And, and so they're, they're honoring God. They're fearing God. They're beginning to turn away and repent of their sinful practices. They're beginning to take the things that help them to pursue participate in those sinful practices, the books, and they're publicly burning them. There's a price to following God. And some of us aren't willing to give up the stuff we have now for the great things God has because we've become so familiar and so used to it. And if we're going to go up, we've got to grow up. But to grow up, we've got to give up. The Bible says, put off the old man and put on the new man, 
that's renewed in righteousness and true holiness. And so this is what these people were doing. And then it goes on to say, and the value of the books was what? So it wasn't just one or two books in a pile. It says that they burned them publicly in a what? Bonfire. Now, if you heard bonfire and you walked up and saw a campfire, would you be a little disappointed? What does a bonfire evoke in your memory? What's your reference point? Yeah, huge. I'll tell you, one of the biggest bonfires that there ever used to be, they stopped them doing it. But Texas A&M used to put on a bonfire, and they would put telephone poles, drive them into the ground in this circle that was probably from here to where the, the balcony is in a circle and then fill in more inside and inside and inside and inside until that was solid and then put another level and then another level and they would light that baby on fire <laughs> and, and I was never there I, I've seen it but it was really hot and you may say well how do you know because I saw the reaction of people when the flame went people standing 30, 40 yards away went because of the blast of heat. Now, that's what I envision this bonfire being because it says the number of books there, the value was several million dollars. Unless they had a Gutenberg Bible, these books were not that expensive. And yet, all of a sudden, there are so many books. This is showing such a change in that community. So there's this fear of God, there's this unity and people repenting and, and, and joining together to get rid of the stuff that assisted them in, in being drawn away from God into idolatry, into occult practices. And, and then in verse 20, I believe, it says this. This is how the word of the Lord was spreading in a powerful way, causing more and more people to believe. You see, Fear the Lord, unity, revival, people getting saved, lives being changed. And then in Acts chapter 9, it's one verse, but we're going to look at it in two translations. But we see it again. It says, then the churches, notice it's plural, the churches throughout all, all Judah, all Galilee, and all Samaria. Now, does anybody find anything interesting or thought-provoking in just what I've read about those three areas in their churches? Absolutely, Samaria. Thank you. Because Judea and Galilee were Jewish, predominantly Jewish. Samaria was Gentile. And what did the Jewish people think of the Samaritans? Man, they called them dogs. They just hated them. They would rather spit on them than talk to them. They'd rather cross the road than have to walk by them. And it says these churches throughout all these areas had what? What? Peace. And we're edified. The word edified means to be built up or built together. 
These Jews and Gentiles are being built together. There's a peace. When the Bible talks about, and this, this word isn't actually there, the word peace in, in the New Testament is the word irene. And, and this infers that there is irene. And it is a putting back together again. Putting back together again. How can you put two things that are at odds that would rather kill each other than deal with each other? And now they're being joined together. They're being built together. Do you know that the church, church has been one of the most fragmented things in our world. Back in 1068, the church began to split. And it's continued to split. Well, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And, you know, we've got, do you know in Rome, the last time I found out, Rome has 77 registered churches. Rome! Yeah, that freaked me out. I was like, what? You mean there are that many people going to that many churches? Well, somebody's going. And, and that you talk about division. These are people that supposedly worship the same God we do. Now, you can't be sure until you talk to them, find out what they believe, and you better know what you believe. Because unity doesn't come if the primary core values aren't agreed. I want you to know what the primary core value of God's church is, the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men should be saved. That's it. It's not about, well, we baptize, we sprinkle, and we immerse. What? You're breaking up the family because you sprinkle and you immerse? Why? You're breaking up the family because you believe this and you believe that, but you all believe that Jesus is the only name by which you must be saved? Those other things, the enemy is absolutely using to bring division because what does division bring? Anything divided against itself shall not... Right. In the original translation, it says be brought to desolation. When something's brought to desolation, that means nothing's left. That's the, that is the end game of all these divisions, to cause nothing to be left of the church. And I want you to know, the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is becoming an army, an exceedingly great army, standing on its feet, glorious and victorious because we're not making the individual issues an issue. We're making God the priority. And we need to. Long overdue for us to, to do all these other things and make all these other things important. But they were, they had peace. They were edified. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. So they were walking in the fear of the Lord, and that's when they began to have something in common. When you and I realize that God's the most important thing in our life, then what God makes important will be important to us. 
And all of a sudden, they're walking in the fear of the Lord. There is this edifying, this building up, this reconnecting of these very different groups. And what's it say? It says, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. In the ERV translation, it says the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had a time of peace. And with the help of Holy Spirit, these groups of believers became strong in their faith and showed their respect for the Lord by the way they lived. So the church everywhere grew in numbers, just like we're seeing. We're seeing people show great honor, great respect, great reverence, a preeminent adoration, this this realigning of our life, of our priorities, of our values, of what we allow to influence us. And, and my question here today before we go is, when we read about, would you mind, Summer, putting that definition back up, their preeminent adoration? You know, we look at that and we think, well, you know, I don't know if I could, I could, I could, I could do that. I don't know if I could fear the Lord. I don't know if I could have this preeminent, this, this priority and, and value and influence of one thing and, and adoration, this fervent devotion and love for something. But let me ask you a question this morning. Is that happening anywhere in our society? I'm not talking about fearing the Lord. I'm talking about this devotion, this, this, this first place, first priority, first value, first influence, devoted, fervent love and worship. Anybody think of any place? Because I thought a, a couple, and I thought I'd bring them to you today. See, see if I'm off base. How about sports? When, when we look at sports and sports figures, we, we prioritize. I mean, people clear their schedules to make sure they don't have anything to do but watch the game. And, and they're, they're, they value the team because they're buying all their merch. Right? Or getting special channels, cable channels, that they can watch their team all the time. They're, they're paying money. Or tickets, standing in line to get tickets. And, and then influence. Well, my team doesn't influence me. Really? When was the last time your team really lost and you were expecting them to win? How were you acting? Enough said. You know, if your team loses, people don't want to be around you. And if your team wins, you're like, woohoo! Let's go out and have a great meal. Let's party. All right, so that's sports. You know, we, we get influenced by sport, sports personalities. We want to wear what they're wearing. We want their jersey. I want their name on my back. Like you don't have an identity? Okay, let's, let's what about Technology. Oh, this is going to hit home for some of you. Man, we, we I, I was amazed when I watched people get in line in the cold to wait for the newest phone. What? But even if we're not waiting in line and paying big bucks because it's new, what happens to us when we misplace our phone? I don't know. I don't know where my phone is. Have you seen my phone? I don't know where my, I, 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 I got to find my phone. Would you call my number? It's like we're going through DTs, withdrawal. <laughs> I 
And what if our phone, we've got our phone, but it dies? <gasps> I'm out of connection. Oh my gosh. Really? And we've got to, we've got, we've got to have it. We've got to have it. We've got to have it. And, and there is an addiction. They are proving that there is addiction in our electronics that's built in to the games and to some of these other things that we're rewarded just enough to keep us coming back. It was like what, what, what I was at a gas station the other day, and this guy was next to me. It, there was a line, and the guy was next to me, and he's asking to buy, I don't think it was lottery tickets. It was scratch-offs. Wanted to buy scratch-offs. Gave him $40. Got all these scratch-offs. He's, he didn't even leave. He just stood there and started scratching. And, and I'm just wanting to get out. And he's like, oh, I won! Wow, that's great. Scratching some more. I won again! Scratched through all of them, had two winners. Now I'm interested. <laughs> I want to know. And so he goes to the guy that, that was next to the cashier that I was cashing out with, and he gives him his scratch-off cards. And he says, I'm a winner! And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the payoff. How much did you win? He said, yeah, this one's for five, and this one's for 20. Now, I know there's new math. <laughs> I do the old math. And I don't know. Some of you can enlighten me, but the old math tells me that that is 25. Is that right? Oh, I didn't even use a calculator. And he's a winner. So the guy gives him $25. Now, what did he give the guy? New math just puzzles me. Because in the old math, if I get 25 for the 40 I gave, I lost 15. Is that right? Okay, we're on, we're on, we're on the right path. And so this guy is a... That's right, he's a loser, but he thinks he's a winner. And with the big bucks he gets back, he immediately says, I want more. I'm like, what? You want to lose more money and be an even bigger winner? It's crazy. It's crazy how we view things. But we are. We're, we're deceived and we're skewed. Another area is, is fashion. You know, we're, we're, we're paying big bucks to have somebody else's name on us because somebody else out there is wearing it. That's a big priority to us. Do you know what Adam and Eve were clothed with? <laughs> Trick question. They were naked, but they were clothed with the glory of God, which is much better than any of the threads that we could ever put on our bodies. So... Sports, technology, fashion, entertainment, right? But the biggest one, one of the biggest ones is music. Music. So much so, you know, it happens in sports. You've got teams and where is Tom and Jody? There you are. Great video this morning. Really good. I was, I was informed and entertained at the same time. Thank you. 
But uh, what do the Green Bay Packers fans call themselves? Come on, you know, you probably have a hat. <laughs> but I could pick on any of you because that's where we, we you know, I'm a cheesehead. What? In music, the same thing goes on. Now, this is going to age some of us. And some of us don't even want to admit we know. Or that we are or were. What about the Grateful Dead? What are their followers called? That's right. That's right. How about Ed Sheeran? Anybody know what the Ed Sheeran crowd calls themselves the real super fans? Sheerios. I'm not making this up. Sheerios. Now, greatest band ever. Who was it? Think about it. Yes, the Beatles. Caused Beatlemania. But the Beatles fans, the real hardcore, worthy, elite fans, what they're called? Apple crisps. I am telling you the truth. It, you can't make this ridiculous stuff up. Jimmy Buffett's people. Parrot heads? It is, it's this way throughout the industry. Most artists, most bands have people that have adopted a name because they so value them and are paying such crazy prices for stuff and just can't wait till the next thing drops. And yet, we're doing all this at the expense of turning away from God. Where does, where does God factor into this? Because whatever team it is that we, we are fans of or whatever technology we've got to have and we're so grateful that, or fashion or entertainment icon or, or whatever or any band, all of these are going to end. And guess who's not going to ever end? God. We're putting a lot of effort. We're putting a lot of, of uh treasure in things that are not going to last. And that's where it's time, church, it's time. He was before anything was ever created. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He will be after this earth is gone. He is eternal. As human beings, we will spend somewhere eternally by our choice. God never created hell for a human being. It was to imprison the angels that rebelled with Lucifer. But people are going to be in hell and are in hell because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And we lose out in this life because we don't make God our priority. We don't fear God. We don't have a preeminent adoration of him. And we'll talk about an awe. And because of that, we're not experiencing the unifying effect that that has that results in revival. If I had asked you this morning before we ever started, how many of you want to see revival? 
How many of you want to be a part of revival? I think every one of our hands would have gone up, but the reality is we have to choose to change. God is not going to change, but we have to choose to change, to put away things that need to be put off. Just like we, we began, before we began the 21 days of prayer, we had that scripture that Pastor Jeremy shared, search me, O God, and show me if there's anything in me that's hindering you from having your way. That's still in effect. So my question to you today is, are you willing? Man, this is what I want. This is, I am, <laughs> I don't know when I've wanted anything more. And I don't know when I've been more, not afraid, aware that it's going to cost me some things that have been very dear to me. Not my wife, not my children but things that I have held on to, that I have just become comfortable with, that have become just common to me. And they need to be put aside so that I don't make God and his will and his way common. I can just go to him anytime. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want to serve him and I want to see him. revealed and glorified in the earth in this hour. And I believe he is, and I want to be a part of that. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. The first thing you have to know is that God did send his son who lived a sinless life in this earth and who died on the cross to pay the price for every one of our sins. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if we don't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah, came to earth as the Savior, as the, the John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We have to come to him to receive what he did, to acknowledge that we need him and we can't run our own lives because we aren't capable. God has always wanted us to be in a relationship with him where it's interactive and intimate, where we so fear him, so reverence him, are so in awe of him and and honor him and esteem him highly and, and value him and make him first in our lives and, and have him as our, our influence and love him passionately and, and just so dedicated to him and worship him that our lives are truly empowered and immersed in him. Until we come to that place of turning our life over to him, then we have, to, we have to take care of ourselves. But God wants to. God wants to be there. And he is, but he won't force himself on any of us. And today, if you have never come to that place, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're online, you've never come to that place where you've recognized, I need a Savior. And in that moment, you don't just recognize the need, but you recognize the provision. God provided his son, the Lamb of God, to die on the cross, to take away the sin of the world. His blood, we, we sang this morning, cleanses us 
He frees us from the power of sin and death, but it's only because we come to him and let him have our lives so that sin can no longer rule our lives. If you're here and you have never turned to Christ and, and repent of your, repented of your sin and recognized and received Christ as your Lord today, I want to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray together, but before you lift your heads and look up, I would ask that if that's you, and this is what you want to do, if you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, that's me, I, I want a brand new start. I need a Savior, and I need forgiveness and cleansing. Then let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I come to you today in search of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to the earth, living a sinless life, dying on the cross to pay the price and penalty for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I receive your forgiveness and your cleansing. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. I am yours. You are mine. Help me to know and grow in you, your ways, your kingdom, and your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, let somebody know here before you leave. If you can't find somebody that you want to let know, let me know. I'll be here. If you prayed and you're online, go to our website, reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us contact information. God is so good. Do you know that the best is yet to come for the church? For all, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about people. And I'm not talking about everybody that calls Jesus Lord. I'm talking about those that truly have made him Lord and continue to walk under his lordship, his guidance, and his governance. Amen? Would you stand? Remember, ladies, that... that I think there's an opportunity for you to carpool tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is praise and prayer. If you've never been there, you don't know what you're missing. And you may say, well, I'm really busy. You're too busy to take time to talk to God. Oh, sorry. With a bunch of people that want to talk to God and praise God. and I'm telling you, change has to happen in our lives. Priorities have to be shifted. And maybe, maybe you've got something you can't get out of this, this tomorrow. But begin to recognize your schedule needs to come under the control of God. On the priority of God. Because there are so many things that are drawing us away. That are hindering him from having his way. And if we would let him have his way. Guess what he's promised would happen. That there would be life and life more abundant. That there would be wholeness and healing 
and peace and hope and joy. Victory. Everything that you'll find in heaven is available to you and me here on earth if we'll give him his place and his space. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for every one of your children here, all those online. Father, there's no time or distance in the Spirit, so we thank you that as we go today, we realize we're not facing anything alone. You live in us by your Spirit. Your Word says, greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. And you have even gone ahead of us and prepared the way. You have a provision, a plan, and a power that is unequaled and unending that cause us, as we look to you, as, as we give you the, the preeminent adoration that causes your life and power and will to erupt with life in us and through us to all those around us. And we thank you, Father, for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Have a great week.